0: This message was recorded at Devoted Leaders, a leadership conference hosted by Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit christcentralchurches.org. Well, it's a real blessing to be here. Jeremy, and with all of you, and to sense the momentum that you're enjoying, the progress that you're making, I do pray I can be a blessing to you. I just heard about the book on Moses, I must confess that when 2020 came around, it, it seemed like you know, an ideal year, 2020, Yeah, it's sort of perfect sight, wonderful year lying ahead, and then COVID, and the whole thing closed down, and uh, I thought, what on earth am I going to do? because uh, I had a full program, which had just had to get canceled. And I felt God said to me, come and look at Moses. And so I want to carry on that today. And I wrote the book and I want to speak to you about Moses tonight and probably tomorrow also. So I'm going to start with his original call in Exodus and chapter four, because he was coming out of a season of fear and doubt, and I guess despair, and then met with almighty God. And I felt this is not irrelevant to what we've come through in terms of COVID. Some of the difficulties that we've encountered, unexpected things. Things that, yeah, we never would have expected, that numbers would drop, people would drift. Hey, what's going on here? And I believe God's kind of calling us afresh as he did with Moses. I'm going to read to you Exodus and chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we'll get into it as God leads us. Okay, Exodus chapter 4. And this is his response to God's revelation. I mean, it's amazing, really. Exodus chapter 3 is one of the greatest chapters of the revelation of God in the Bible. Moses stumbles on a a bush that's burning, but it doesn't go up in smoke. I guess bushes occasionally did go up in smoke in the heat of the desert. But this one kept on glowing with a kind of extraordinary glow and a burning. And he, he went to see this great sight, And suddenly, a voice arrests him, speaks to him by name. And Moses begins to listen and listen and get a revelation. I am that I am. There's never been a revelation of God like this before in the Bible. God's stepping into history in an extraordinary way. I've heard the cries of my people. I've come down to deliver them. I'm sending you. You think, wow, what an incredible invitation to be called into leadership for such a great event of what we're gonna call the Exodus, the deliverance of these people. It's an amazing moment. Then you get the answer from Moses, which is a huge surprise. Exodus chapter four, Moses said, what if they won't believe me? Or listen to what I say. They may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your cloak. So he put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your cloak again. So he put his hand into his cloak again, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they believe, may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they'll not believe you, even of these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water which you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech, slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say He said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks fluently. Moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You ought to speak to him. Put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you're to do. Moreover, he shall speak to you to the people and you shall be as a mouth, he shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be as God to him. You shall take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go that I may return to my brothers who are in Egypt and see if they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power, but I will harden his heart And he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about at a lodging place on the way. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time she said, you're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went to meet him in the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed low and worshipped. Father, we thank you for your word. We welcome your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Be our teacher. Lead us into truth. Speak your word into our hearts. Do us good, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's just remind ourselves of um, Moses, that he was born to believing parents. And the extraordinary thing, that his parents by faith looked after him when the threat was you should kill uh, the sons of Israelites. This nation needs to be blotted out They'd become a powerful nation within Egypt. They'd grown to some two million people. And whereas when they came in with Joseph, they were a small family, wonderfully welcomed. Joseph's reputation was superb. But now the years have slipped by. Now they've become a nation within a nation. And Pharaoh begins to be troubled that he's got this people dwelling within them. So let's, let's kill these firstborn boys. Let's kill these kids. Let's get rid of them. And, and Moses had believing parents, sometimes, we're a bit reluctant to say, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. We'd like a kind of black and white conversion. You know, I lived this terrible life of debauchery and then I came to Christ. But Moses, no, I was born in a believing home, not just a religious home. His parents found their way into Hebrews chapter 11. These, these are people who really believe God. And against the backdrop of slavery, so somehow they were able to hang on to the promise that God had given to Abraham, that through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And they, they clung to that promise. I believe that they kind of sowed that promise into Moses. They gave him all this vision. And I believe he had that vision given to him by his believing parents, some of our responsibility, beloved, to give faith to the next generation to sow them with vision, to excite them with what God wants to do. And so then Moses, you know the story, had to go back into Pharaoh's household. He had to be, as it were, sent away to Egypt University, like our kids. They have our story, and then they go away to another story, another set of values, another culture. And I guess in Moses' heart, there came these warring cultures, this Egyptian culture, so impressive. People still study Egyptology, one of the most impressive generations ever. Uh, Not only their, their building techniques, medical breakthroughs, they're a phenomenal people, the Egyptians of that age. And there was this strange, obscure, mysterious vision of Moses' parents, we are the people of God. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Moses refused all that was on offer from Egypt. As a young prince now, in a position of some authority and power and might. He looked and said, no, no, I've got more hope for God's people, although they looked very unimpressive. And do you know that's going to take a lot of faith in our children to think, well, this, this is the answer to the world. This despised church, We've got to help God with prayer to say believe, let's believe for our next generation, let's sow seeds of faith in their hearts. So when they look at all these values and these values, and they wow, this is so impressive, this is so scientifically provable, and this is so mysterious, but hey, it's so wonderful. And Moses came to a decision, not imposed upon by his parents and nor under the law, but as a mature man, by faith. He thought I'd rather be numbered with the despised slaves. He numbered himself with them. But then he made a terrible blunder. He made a decision in his heart. Hebrews 11 is so kind and gracious. It says, hey, by faith he made the decision. In action, he he acted rather foolishly. He, He was kind of a powerful young prince. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that he had led one of the armies of Egypt against the Ethiopians at Memphis and won a great victory. He's a young prince, he's powerful. And he sees uh, an Egyptian mistreating the Hebrew, so he goes out and kills the Egyptian. And then goes back into the palace, he hides the body. And the next day he sees two uh, Hebrews arguing with one another and goes out and bangs their heads together, says, your brothers, what are you doing? And they turn on him and said, who made you a ruler over us? Are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? And it's like, wow, it's known, it's not hidden. And he runs for it. He runs for it. And he ends up in a desert looking after a few sheep. So he's got some history. It's interesting that when God makes him a wonderful offer and says to him, I've got a great plan for your life. I've got something for you to do. Moses doesn't say, great, let's do it. He comes up with this answer, what if? Do you know, I think many of us are like that. We, We don't come back to God and say, yes, Lord, whatever, whatever, I can't wait. We come back so often with, well, I'm not sure. I tried before, didn't work for me. It's not like we can offer God a clean sheet and say, yeah, write what you like on there. Because there's already crossings out. There's already blottings on the page. And we think, no, I'm I'm not really ready for that. And I think you'll find it here, as we look at this story, there are a number of things around Moses that was gonna hold him back from all that God had planned for him. Like chains tying him down. I wanna believe as we go through this tonight that some of us who have chains around us that don't let us rise with faith to what God has for us, that God wants to cut you free from them tonight. That we can walk out of this room this evening with kind of invisible chains lying on the floor because God set us free as he did Moses. By the end of this chapter, God has got him on course. But at the beginning of the chapter, he looks pretty sad. He's saying, no, 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 I, I can't do it. Why not? Well, I've tried before. Didn't work for me. I remember for myself, I had a dear friend who had a child and his wife, this beautiful little girl. She lived 13 weeks and she was very, very sickly from the beginning. And I was in his home one day and we were just praying and talking together. And his wife came in and said, look at Christina. She looks so bad and she kind of looked blue and looked terribly sick. Will you pray for her? So yeah, we laid hands on her and, 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 and we prayed for her. And I remember when I opened my eyes, she was pink. I thought, wow, wow, she's changed while we prayed. I was so excited. I went home to my unsaved parents and said, Christina's been healed. We prayed for her. About two weeks later, she died. And I thought, oh, never again. I won't ever do that again. And I actually said to my friend, I don't think I can ever trust God again. It's like, I'll, I'll keep safe, I'll keep being a believer, oh, I'll try and keep my nose clean, but I'm not going out into territory, which is scary. I'm not gonna get out of my, my comfort zone. And yet God, in mercy, got me out of that. But at the time, it's like, don't talk to me about a new step of faith. And some of us had experiences like that. We think, no, I've tried before. I moved out, I, I began to speak. You know, maybe at the workplace, we might have said, I oh, have a great opportunity to witness. And you start talking to somebody, and they say, oh, you're a religious crazy guy. And, you know, it comes to the coffee break, and they will back off you. And uh, you think, oh, God, that looked like a great opportunity. And instead, it's just left me isolated. It didn't work. And we kind of back off things. We, we don't try again. Maybe we start prophesying, and it kind of dies on us and we think oh, i'm not going to go that again and all sorts of things that require you to step out of your comfort zone you think no i'm never going there again because that's that's a dangerous area and i think moses had that sort of background he tried again he tried before and wasn't ready to try again i think it's one of the things we have to get through previous disappointments setbacks things that didn't quite go as we thought they would we hear about pastors these days saying, I've had enough. Churches closing saying, I'm not gonna do this. I tried before, it didn't work. And we need to come through those and see this now is a new story. Before Moses tried on his own initiative actually. He was running ahead of God. But this story starts with God saying, I have heard the cry of my people. I have come down to deliver them and I send you. That's a completely different deal. When God says, I'm initiating, I'm the one stirring this, I'm the one motivating, we're on safe ground because God can do something. Even if we have previous failure, can we this, this evening say, right, I'm going I'm to leave behind the fact I tried before it didn't work for me. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to step into working with him, he working in me, through me. He having said, I've chosen you, that you might bear fruit, fruit that shall remain. And let those promises persuade you that God is enough for you. And so I believe it's important for us to say, right, I'm going to turn my back on previous disappointment and let's believe God, because God himself is the initiator in the story. The second thing I see closely associated to it is this, a kind of hint of resentment. What if they say, God hasn't spoken to you? Who's they? Well, my brothers who let me down before. And Moses, who used to be a prince, used to have everything at his command, son of Pharaoh's daughter, magnificent future in a palace. He risked everything for these guys. He tried to stand with them. He tried to help them. His brothers, his brothers turned on him and said, who do you think you are? It was his brothers who wrecked his life. Now you're saying, go and speak to them. What if they won't receive me again? I think there's some bitterness there. I think there's some, they failed me. And all these years, I've had a few sheep to look after. Why? Because of them. And some of us carry some pretty deep hurts because of what, yeah, even our brothers have done for us. People, you thought, well, that was my brother. You know, he, he, he was with me, and I thought we were going to do this together. He walked away. He left me. Sometimes that comes into our lives in a very painful way, even with a, a, a boy and a girl situation where, where the, the boy seems to be suggesting, hey, this is a permanent thing. We're working towards something, and then he drops you. Or the other way around, she drops you, and think, oh, wow, my hopes were raised, and hey, he's a Christian, but he's just let me up the garden it's very painful we have often in our experience experiences of bitterness where somebody failed us even into your own home when you've been in pastoral ministry as long as I have you hear terrible stories you think your parents failed you or your parents did worse than failure they did despicable things And sometimes people live with a kind of bitterness that it's hard to let go of. And God is saying to us tonight, look, if you're going to step into a future with me, because here's a tremendous invitation for Moses to be one of the greatest characters in world history, he's about to miss it. He's about to say, no, thank you, send somebody else, thank you. I don't want to know. And God wants to bring him out of that. And maybe there are things in your life where you just think, well, I was so injured before. And we can even say, well, I'll walk along this narrow way, but I'm not going to go any further because, well, they so hurt me. And that can be a real chain. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness that grows up within. and just stays there. It just leaves you feeling unhappy deeply inside. And God wants to open that up tonight and say, look, I want to free you. I want to free you by your forgiving. See, when we don't forgive, we kind of think we're in control. We think if I don't forgive, I'm master of the situation because I was the one in the right. Moses could say, I was trying to help them. Because of them, I've lost everything. I've lost the palace, I am looking after a few sheep because of them. And I was right and they were wrong. And we can feel that. We can feel, I, I left that church. I'm never going to go back there. And a plague on them. And God wants us to forgive and release. Because the reality is this. When you won't forgive, it's you that's pulling a chain around in your life. You might think, well, I'm in charge. I won't forgive. But actually, no, no, you're the one under the control of this lack of forgiveness. And even though it, you feel, well, uh, it was so cruel what they did to me, God wants you to forgive. Would you do that tonight? You say to God, I want, I want to be the best I can be for you. I don't want to miss your best for me. So we've got to let go, even of what she did against you or he did against you. You say, yeah, but he's a deacon in that church. No, no, no. You've got to say, okay, I'll let go. I'll walk away from it. We do that tonight. Let's believe God that we can move into a new day of freedom by forgiving and letting go of those who you feel, wow, they did badly oh, against God. me. Freedom comes through forgiveness, saying, we'll leave it behind, we we'll leave it with God, we forgive, we let go because Jesus forgave us freely. We walk into that wonderful Christian miracle. Another thing that could have been hindering him another chain that could be around him was a kind of passivity. You know, I've got a great journey for you. I've got a great ministry for you. And Moses could say no, look, I I look after a few sheep. That's what I do. So that's who I am. We can often think that that's what I do, so that's who I am. I look after a few sheep. And you know, What do you do every day? Moses, well, I wake up in the morning. I take a few sheep around the mountain. I put them down, sleep again. What I do is the next morning, I take the sheep around again. Every day is the same. Nothing changes here. I've just got this little responsibility. That's all I have. That's all I do. And, and, and that's who I am. And God says, I've got a great call for you. No, it couldn't possibly be. And you and, and get locked into routine. We get locked into lack of expectation. And, and Moses had been in that for 40 years, looking after a few sheep. And suddenly, this great call to something wonderful. And he's thinking, oh, I, can't, I can't rise above who I think I am. The wonderful thing of the gospel is that God can come to someone where they are. He can come to a Gideon who feels he's a nothing. And my parents' house is nothing. And God can just take you out of that and give you a, a great vision and a great ministry. He can do that for us. He can come and sow a seed of hope in our hearts. He can do something that seems quite ridiculous. Moses says, I can't speak. Now, the extraordinary thing is this. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says this. Moses was mighty in word and in deed. As a young man, he was mighty in word. Now he's had all that confidence eroded out of him. so I can't speak. Actually, that's exactly what God wants. The Bible says this, God is looking for the weak things and the foolish things. When Moses was a young prince, he was kind of self-sufficient. He could step out of the palace and kill an Egyptian because, well, I'm a prince, I do what I like. I don't need permission. I do what I like. And actually, mm, not necessarily very helpful to God. And sometimes God lets us go through bitter disappointments because he sees in us that kind of self sufficiency. Now, actually, God had his hand on Moses since he was a baby. He cared for him, watched over him, but he knew about that in his character. He knew he was self sufficient. It didn't mean God was abandoning him, but God was dealing with him, actually, and bringing him to the place where he would just cling. Do you know, God loves people who just cling who feel, I can't do it. And when, and when Moses says, I can't speak, God's saying, great, I've got him where I want him. I can't do it. Yeah, actually, I'm going to persuade you that with me, you can do it. Beloved, when we begin to get a hold of that, God is calling me. God's calling me out of my weakness. He's chosen the weak things, the things that are not. God loves those who feel their inadequacy. Because we cling more. We had to hold on. We know we couldn't do it alone. Self-sufficient people, not too helpful to God. And so part of this experience of Moses, that seems so crushing. And maybe you've found that going through COVID. You think, this is hard, Lord. We just built up to that number. and I've lost half of them again. Oh, Lord. This is terrible. I, I, I don't know if I can go on anymore. And that sense of weakness, God can say, good, now I've got you where I want you, totally dependent on me. You watch what God will do with Moses. It's breathtaking. What I do with this guy who says, send somebody else, send somebody else. God says, no, I've got my hand on you. I'm going to bring you through. Beloved, that's the word of God for some of you today. I've got my hand on you. I'm going to bring you through. I've got my hand on you. And even the experiences of heartbreak and difficulty and setback what is this? well you are his workmanship created in Christ for works he's foreordained for you to walk in and part of his workmanship sometimes is to erode your confidence sometimes it's to deal with you deeply and profoundly within so that you say Lord only you can do it you say yeah that's right learn of me you look at so many Bible characters look at Simon Peter when he says I failed him completely do you love me? Oh Lord, you know I love you. But I've got nothing to offer you. Go, good, go and feed my sheep. It's when we feel we've got nothing to offer, we're beginning to come to the place of greatest youthfulness. Because God's got his hand on us. He can bring us out of that. He can do a work in our hearts and and restore confidence and hope, not because we feel we've got it in ourselves, but because we begin to realize it's his power, his enabling that can free us into all that he has for us. He's got dreams we would never have dreamt of, outworkings we could never have believed for. Moses going out and killing Egyptians. How many Egyptians is he going to kill in his own strength? He's going to need a mighty breakthrough from God. He's going to see the Red Sea open. We need God in this. So we need to come to see, I can't do this. Moses is in God's hand through the setbacks. He's in God's hand, can you believe that? Through the setbacks, through the heartbreak, through the numbers dropping, all that COVID has brought, oh God, no, I've got my hand upon you. You're in my control. That's part of the message that we're reading here. (coughs) So beware the danger of kind of passivity. Now I just look after a few sheep. Is that how you see yourself? I just look after a few sheep. Is that the end of the story? I've got a great plan for you. Now I just look after a few sheep. God wants us to open our eyes to what might be possible. God wants you to leave behind that sense, well, now this is who I am. I look after a few sheep. God's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger motivation than ours. He wants to see his great name glorified and he looks on the likes of us to fulfill it. That danger then. Then the next one I would say is what I want to call extreme unworthiness. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like I can't speak. It's like, don't ask me. I'm, I'm useless, I can't speak. Now, sometimes we're in danger of giving that almost a kind of spiritual feel. And I think that we are in danger sometimes to think, oh, what a lovely, lovely, humble attitude when we say, I can't do it. But this humility that Moses says, I can't do it, does not receive God's affirmation. It says God was angry with it. And I think we need to be very careful when we say, well, it's not, I can't do it, not me, not me, somebody else. And I just like to paint a picture here of, what can happen in the Christian world which somehow robs us of edge? I'll just say some things that are familiar to us, right? It's like you might say to the keyboard player, that was beautiful tonight, thank you so much. And you say, thank you so much. And and sometimes the answer is, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You know, that's often the case. Oh, thank you, that was beautiful. No, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You feel like saying, who who played the wrong notes? Not that I heard. I didn't hear any wrong notes. So I but, or, or it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You say, well, it was good, but the Lord. Well, I mean, but that kind, of, that kind of thing, it wasn't me. No, it was you, and we're deeply grateful. We're so grateful for all the hours you spent learning to play and working as a team and all the practice and all the thought and prayer that goes in. Thank you so much. That no, it wasn't me. No, it was you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Now, see, what am I... I'm trying to show you something. I, when I was... Uh, uh, out of fresh out of Bible college, I was in Bible college, and we used to preach around London churches. And uh, you'd go to these churches, and very often the, a group of deacons would take you aside and pray over you as the visiting preacher. And, and they would pray this kind of prayer Lord, hide the preacher. I remember a friend of mine who went through that experience. He came back, he said, If I hear again, Lord, hide the preacher this morning. He said, I'm going to go into the pulpit, and we say, let us pray. And when they close their eyes, he said, I'm going down underneath. <laughs> he said, let's see how they get on without me. It's like, what do I mean, hide the preacher? And sometimes you can even see in an old pulpit, these wonderful old pulpits, you can see it carved into the woodwork. Sir, we would see Jesus. Now we know what people are trying to say, but it's like, We don't want to see you much, and we'd like to hide the preacher, and Jesus plays the piano anyway. (laughs) Now, if you're not careful, you can put together now a kind of package which says, we don't count. I I once heard a preacher, a man I greatly admired actually, but he used this illustration, he said, God wants a faceless army. And all the people applauded, yeah, yeah. God wants a faceless army. God wants a faceless army. (laughs) Now, what what is he saying? He's saying, God hates your identity. God wants an anonymous people. Now, without thinking it through, we don't think it through theologically. We pick up this, we pick up that, and we put it together. Jesus plays the keyboard. Jesus does the preaching. Jesus wants a faceless army. But you know, the Bible isn't like that. You get all David's mighty men named, one after another, named the great exploits they did. You know, this one went down into a, a fort with a lion. This one killed 300. And their name, 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 name. It's not like, well, oh, they're faceless. It didn't matter who they were. They mattered very much who they were. And God's not scared of their names. If the names can, don't count, hallelujah, let's tear them out. Because they're horrible for preachers because you can't pronounce them. <laughs> you know, who wants these names? Why do they get them stupid names anyway? But God, and, and this, you know, they built the wall, Nehemiah's wall went up and there was this, this guy built opposite his house, this guy worked opposite his house and he worked hard and he didn't, you mean notice? He worked hard, but they, I thought they were faceless. No, they weren't faceless. I know them, everyone. And I know what they're doing. See, beloved, if we're not careful, we, we build up without thinking we're making a theology, but we get a culture of God isn't really interested because God plays the keyboard, God does the preaching, the army's faceless, and it doesn't really matter. And then on top of that, you get a guy called Ignatius of Loyola, who created the Jesuit movement and gave the, the church a famous prayer where he says, we do all this not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. Now that may have been said with terrific motivation, And it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? We're not looking for any reward. But the Bible says something very different. That the Bible says this, one of the last verses in the Bible that says, Jesus is coming. He said, I am coming, all the angels are coming. I coming, I come with my rewards to give to those according to what they've done. I'm coming with my rewards. Ignatius says, we're not looking for any rewards. It sounds so spiritual it's not what the Bible says. Imagine on that great day when Jesus comes with the rewards, who's gonna say, ah, sit down a minute, Jesus. Uh, we wanna teach you a higher ethic. We're not really looking for any rewards. I'm not volunteering, are you? I'm not gonna say, when Jesus, I'm coming with my rewards. And we say, we're not interested in rewards. It sounds so holy. It's not in step with the Bible. No, you mean Jesus is watching? Oh, yeah, he's watching. He's watching. He wants to reward. In fact, if you just look at the New Testament, I'll just read some familiar verses from 1 Corinthians 3. It says this. Paul says, I've laid a foundation. Others are building on it. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. See, what he's saying is it's not about salvation. We know it's not salvation by works. It's You'll be saved. We're saved through the precious blood of Jesus. It's a finished work, perfected for all time. Hallelujah. But having saved us, he invites us to serve him. And one day, every one of us will stand before him and our works will be tested by fire. So this thing, oh, we're not looking for any works. He's missed the point. He hasn't read his Bible. The Bible is saying, no, he, he will test us. He, he, he's going to, hey, you're righteous as a gift, you're accepted, you're delighted in, and here, I give you some works to do. I think it was Watchman Nee who said, it's like he gave you a, a clean white sheet, a wonderful white robe, and then say, gave you a golden thread and said, embroider it with the works that I give you to do. He's going to test the quality of our works. And, and some will be stubble straw nothing he'll test the quality it's going to go up in smoke it's not that God doesn't care it's not that Jesus plays the piano it's not accurate it's not biblical we need to walk in this awareness and so we Oh, I can't possibly speak he could speak and God was not impressed with that answer God wants us to live in the light of his word where he says he wants to reward us. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, says, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, henceforth is laid up for me a crown. You mean you're thinking about it? Yes, I'm thinking about it. He's thinking about the reward. In the book of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, many of the heroes of faith, it says, they were looking for the reward. Looking for the reward. We need to be careful that we're not, well, it doesn't really matter. Because God's not looking at that. No, he is looking. And that should affect the way we respond to his invitation to serve him. We don't say, well, I couldn't possibly do it. And sometimes to make that humble, oh, I couldn't possibly do it. And we must get this into our saints, beloved. We need to it into our church life. Because so often people say, oh, I couldn't do it. And they're not thinking about these sort of scriptures because they've heard this cluster of different things that get said that leave us thinking it doesn't matter. Because we're saved by grace anyway. In the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, so don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. God will disclose the motives of things hidden. Like Terry, why did you go to devoted? In 2022, you don't know. It's a hidden. He'll disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. This is serious stuff. Why did you do it? What were you doing? I'm gonna have to give account. And cheap things like, oh, I didn't do it, he did it. That's not gonna answer this reality. You remember the story that Jesus told the mind went into the the temple? And out of his abundant wealth, it, rather publicly and ostentatiously, he put his big gift in. That's where I am, generous. I'm hoping people are watching. And then the little lady comes in with her two coins, hoping no one will see. It's like, let the fire fall. Where's that guy's gift gone? The smoke's lifted. It's gone. You can give away all that you have. If it's without love, it's gone. It's nothing. It's nothing. That is scary. It's nothing. Then the fire falls on this woman's gift. Ah, gold, silver, precious stones. Because of the motives of her heart. God's not indifferent. God's not careless. God doesn't think, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter. I will give account to God one day. So I mustn't hide behind, oh, I couldn't possibly speak. God was not impressed with Moses saying that. And we mustn't hide behind, oh, oh we'll let somebody else do it. I can't possibly do it. Don't expect too much of me. God's chosen the weak things. God knew what he was doing, and he knows what he can do with the weak things. And so we need to grow and say, Lord, help me to serve you as you would have me serve you. Step out of any kind of false humility. Any kind of, well, somebody else, not me. Let's rise to what God might have for us. Things we perhaps always thought were out of our reach. But God's got plans that far exceed what we would shut ourselves into. So I think these are various chains that are on the ground. Like I tried before, it didn't work for me. Or I did this before and this person really hurt me. I really feel it's hard to forgive when you forgive tonight. So if you carry bitterness, you're never going to walk free. Or that kind of, well, I just look after a few sheep. Or this whole package of teaching which kind of says God's not really interested. When he is intensely interested. We're not looking for any reward. God wants you to be looking for the reward. Paul said, henceforth has laid up for me. He's thinking that way. He's aware of this. He's walking in the reality of Jesus saying, I'm coming with my rewards. And Then one last thing from this whole story, that kind of strange thing. We're reading that he's going to confront Pharaoh. He's going to say to Pharaoh, let my son go. I will kill your firstborn. Then it says in verse 24, as I read it to you, now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What's that all about? Put Moses to death. Now, it doesn't explain whether it was like, you know, David suddenly saw an angel with a sword drawn. He knew that God was gonna judge. Or was he just very sick? And they knew it was the Lord. Whatever it was, they knew Moses is about to die. And it's God that's responsible for this. That's what it says, quite plainly, the Lord drew near to put him to death. What, what's What's going on here? Well, the answer comes in the text. What happens It's then Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. What's that all about? She circumcised their son. Moses was gonna be the great lawgiver of Israel. In the New Testament, sometimes it uses the name Moses when it really means the law. You trusted in Moses. It means you trusted in the law. He is so so identified with the law. He is the law man. Thus is the law. This is the law man. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. He's only had one law so far. Circumcise your boy on the eighth day. It's the only law he had. And he wasn't obeying it he was as good as dead. This is going to be God's law, man. But at home, he's not keeping it. At home, he doesn't take it seriously. So he's, he's going to be, this is the word of God to you. But at home, he doesn't do it. And so immediately, Zipporah knows what it is. You notice that? God doesn't have to say what it is. God doesn't have to say, hey, you haven't circumcised your son. They knew what it was immediately. They knew where their area of disobedience was. And so she deals with it quickly, without discussion, without pointing out. They knew they were being disobedient to God. Different at home to what's going to be public. Anything like that in your life? You see, his ministry was as good as dead. It's terrible to have a double standard. But publicly, this is what we say at home, it's not quite the same. When we're alone and no one else is looking, we have other stuff we do. It was going to be the end for Moses. And they knew what it was. We don't have to kind of guess, what about this, what about this? No, they knew what it was. And they dealt with it very quickly. See, when you're in the desert and your vision's gone, when things aren't happening, your standards can drop too. It's like, it could be like that through COVID. Oh, nothing's happening, no. Standards drop, we start getting into stuff perhaps we wouldn't have got into before. We get bored, we get turned on by other things. And before we know where we are, we're compromising secretly. You secretly compromising? His ministry was as good as death. He said, well, why? Why did he compromise? Maybe he was trying to keep the peace. It's obvious that Zipporah didn't think much of circumcision. She said to Moses, you're a bridegroom of blood to me because of the circumcision. Maybe there was a day on the eighth day of the child. Moses said, I must circumcise the boy. She's not going to touch my boy. And maybe that's what it was. Well, I to keep the peace then. I'll keep the peace. Some of us get into sin because we're keeping with peace in the wrong way. We're keeping the peace. We're going along with something we shouldn't go along with. We know we shouldn't go along with. But wow, well, I think if I did, what would happen? What would be the repercussions if I did what God wanted? I mean, we could have chaos here. And Sometimes we live a disobedient life because well what would be the ramifications if I did what I'm meant to do? Moses didn't do it. And God just drew near to put him to death because his ministry is going to be useless. You can't confront a great pharaoh when you've got a bad conscience. Thus says the Lord. Who is the Lord? Oh, I don't know. We need a good conscience to fight the battles we're going to fight today. Paul could say publicly, I've served God with a good conscience. We need a good conscience so we can serve the Lord. Anything, see, beloved, this is such a key chapter. This man, he's going to be one of the greatest heroes of world history. And this chapter shows, he could miss it, he could have missed it completely for these various reasons. Bitterness, small vision, and now, hey, he got secret Sin. And so, when they recognise the reality, they deal with it quickly. Will you deal with it quickly? There's something secret in your life. Before it gets known, deal with it. Deal with it ruthlessly. When they dealt with it, it's amazing. It just says, and once he'd done that, the Lord let it go. So he let him alone. It's like, okay, start with. God doesn't go on about things. In fact, it says this beautiful thing. It says that Aaron went out to meet him. And Aaron is the high priest. It's like, like Jesus, that great priest over the house of God. It says, Aaron came out and kissed him. I found this in my life, that when you get right with God, there's this kind of intimate meeting with Jesus afresh. Sometimes you can walk at a distance from Jesus and you know things are not as they should be. But when you get right with him, he says he came out and kissed him and walked with him. That's, that's what I like. When we get right with God again, Jesus comes to us. There's no recrimination, it doesn't go on about it. Okay, you've repented, it's finished, it's all over. It doesn't keep on saying, Why didn't you? I told you about this. No, no, it's done. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We're back in relationship with God again. Sins are forgiven. We're back on the journey, back into the destiny God has for us. And so Moses gets into God's great plan for his life. But this chapter tells us he nearly missed the whole thing. Beloved, God is going to do a great work. I love the confidence that we heard through Nicky Gumbel earlier today. God is on the move. God wants to do a great thing. God wants to glorify his son. God wants a glorious church. But so many histories are like ours and like Moses. God making fresh overtures, calling fresh people. But I tried before, it didn't work for me. Or they hurt me. Or I only do this. or I'm not looking for any reward anyway. Or I've got this secret thing. Beloved, I believe God wants us to leave a lot of chains on the floor. Will you do that tonight? You say to God, Lord, I want the best. I, I don't want to waste my life. I've got one life. I don't want to waste it. I want to inherit everything you have for me. I don't want to fail you. I want to be what you want me to be. Whatever it costs, I want to go for what you have for me. I wanna pray that will be our portion tonight, that we'll leave a lot of chains on the floor, amen? And we'll walk out free into what God has for us. Can we stand to pray, please? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your patience, your kindness, your love. We thank you, you know us through and through. We wanna be the best we can be for you, Lord. And Father, we just ask you that you will give us that childlike confidence that if we put you first, you will take hold of our lives. We won't get ourselves shut in to smallness. I just want to pray for any tonight who feel I, I just I don't want to miss what God has for me. I don't want to fall short of where God wants to take me. There was a great story to come. He nearly missed it. If there's any of the things we've touched on tonight, any of these several different subjects. And you feel, no, I, that, that one, that's me. Well, that one, that's me. And you feel, no, God, you spoke to me tonight. I want to invite you to just come out. I know some of us did that this morning. We, we came out. But I want to invite you. If God's spoken to you, say, Lord, tonight I'm in business with you. Would you just leave the chains where you're standing and come and stand here at the front and let's pray for a complete breaking of those chains and complete freedom. Would you do that? Even now just slip out of your row Okay, Lord Jesus we don't need to know which one it is but you know what it is. And let's say Lord I want to be the best I can be for you. Let's come to Jesus right now. Thank you Jesus Thank you Lord Thank you Lord Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you our lives, Lord. We want to get into that full potential you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Noah, through and through, Lord. I know that some of you might appreciate personal prayer, but I'm also aware of the time, so I'm just gonna pray, and there may be those who wanna stay praying a little longer, and people may well come and pray with you, but I'm time conscious, so I'm just gonna close. Lord Jesus, thank you for the plans you have for our lives. Thank you that you have terrific plans for us, works you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, you know every part of us. You know, Lord, the things that hold us back, chains that can prevent us, getting into everything you have for us. And tonight, Lord, we just come before you And we say, Lord Jesus, we want nothing to prevent our serving you to the full. We want to be able to stand before you in that day. And for you to say, I want to reward you for what you've done. I want to give you my sweet favor. I want to applaud what you've done in my name. And Lord, I ask you for everyone who's heard your voice tonight and know that they've heard it. That Lord God, by your mighty spirit, you will give them holy, zealous commitment to walking this through, to sorting this out. If there are any things that need to be put to death, let them be put to death tonight. If there are other people that need to be forgiven, let them be forgiven tonight. If any have had a casual attitude, let it be put down tonight, that we might live to your praise, live to your glory. Glorify your name in us and through us, we pray, Father. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name.